listening to Behind the Design, featuring the best in the interior design industry. Hi everyone, this is Alex and Lee from Ivy, and today on the podcast, we're very excited to have Lucy Ayers from 22 Interiors. Hi Lucy. Hello. Um, I'll give a bit of an intro about Lucy. So Lucy combines her European sensibility with her love of the American West to create the perfect mix of modern and classic interiors. Born in the Czech Republic, she's been living in LA for 12 years. Lucy studied interior design at Cornell and started her career by working for the luxury custom home builder Figaro. She made her West Coast design debut in 2009 with a remodel of a historic Spanish home that combined antiques and classic details with modern touches. The project was actually featured in Angelino magazine. That's incredible, Lucy. <laughs> Today, 22 Interiors has a wide range of clients from high-profile entertainment figures to first-time home buyers, with projects that range in size from one or two rooms to ground-up renovations. Thanks for being with us, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Hi, Lucy. So this is Lee here, and I wanted to also say thanks for being with us. We're big fans of following you on social media, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. So I wanted to start and talk about your career and your relocation from New York to L.A. When you did this move, how did you establish your career on the West Coast when you had had, had your network in New York? Any tips on how to establish your design business in a new city? So I had a segue um, career point when the first dot-com boom happens and I went from real estate and interiors to marketing for a brief moment. Um, And that was really helpful because learning how to market anything is going to be helpful for any startup business. So when I started 22 Interiors, I was very quick to get on Yelp, to get on House, to figure out if I'm a person, how do I look for an interior designer if I don't know, you know, people who have used interior designers or whatnot. So I sort of pretended I was somebody who needed an interior designer. And so I started Googling interior designers and looking at websites. And then obviously in the Google search at House or Yelp or um, at the time Thumbtack was just starting out, those would come up because obviously those companies would buy um, more advertising on Google searches. So they would pop up higher up in the list. Um, So I realized that that's the way to do it is sort of to get yourself out there. And anybody that I had done anything for, I made them write reviews. Um, And I got great photos and just presented myself um, as sort of being more established than maybe I, maybe I already was at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. So great photography reviews and putting myself out there um, really, really helped. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, And on that point, how did you, that's how you found your first clients. And I'm interested in knowing a little bit more on how you've been managing client communication in general, because I know that's a pain point that a lot of our designers in Ivy face on a daily basis. And some clients are obviously very, very demanding and it can sometimes be hard to create that boundary. So how do you set those expectations early on? Yeah, so this question is funny because I think people have been talking a lot about it um, either on the Ivy Facebook group or I listen to other podcasts, your podcast included and you know, there are some designers that um, are very rigid with their rules, um, 
regarding mm -hmm. communication. Um, I know of one designer who um, there's an automatic email that kind of just comes right back when you send this person an email and it sort of lays out the ground rules for communication. Mm -hmm. I've received your email. If you are a client, I will get back to you within 24 hours. If you are not a client, then I will get back to you in 48 <laughs> hours. If you are a vendor looking for this, do this. I mean, it was like, it's like, okay. Um, I don't, that's not my style. Mm -hmm. My clients um, are, you know, busy executives or busy people. Um, with busy lives for the most part, which is good um, because, you know, they, when they bug me, they, you know, that I know they need something. Um, so I work on Saturdays if I need to, you know, my clients have jobs during the week, a lot of mm -hmm. them. And so if Saturday's the only time they can sit down and do a meeting, we do it. If it's after work hours, if it's 7 p.m. at night, and that's when we need to go through things, then I do it. I mean, we are in the service industry. I think um, it's quite a luxury to be able to say my hours are nine to five, I shut the door, and that's it. Um, you know, what do you do when you have a corporate lawyer, when you have somebody who's working more hours than you, quite frankly, and, you know, they still want a nice house. And by the way, they're going to spend good money on it. So, you know, I'm very open in terms of client communication. Luckily, I haven't had too many clients that have, um, uh, taken advantage mm -hmm. but I do you know I prefer clients contact me and ask me questions as opposed to just going off and doing things on their own um, if there are text messages I don't love text messaging I mean obviously for the I'm running 10 minutes late kind of thing yes that's great but not for hey I see this chair what do you think um, anytime I get a, a something that's sort of requires more thinking than just uh, just a quick response, then I send them to email and just say, you got to email me this. You know, I can't, I can't deal with this on text. So I'm just very frank and open with them about communication. Um, but like I said, maybe I've been lucky and people haven't taken too much advantage. But I also think that, you know, how you respond and when you respond and how quickly you respond sort of sets the tone. Mm -hmm. um, so if somebody does in the off chance text me something that's not urgent at 9 p.m. at night, I'm not responding to that text until the next mm -hmm. day. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. um, but I don't want to, I, I don't, I'm not the, my style is not that rigid bounce back email that gives you it laid out because I just, I don't know. I don't think that that's that doesn't feel good to me at least I, I don't feel good receiving that kind of email you know yeah I totally understand and question though so I know let's say that really busy lawyer that's kind of doesn't you know he's too busy to be in the loop on all the steps along the way have you ever found it that then um, when a decision's made or you know you had agreed on something but it was months earlier that he forgets that that happened like how do you make sure that all of the expectations and all the you know ground rules on decisions are aligned throughout that process if you aren't always in touch with them so there's a couple of things here i think i as many people as many designers are just continue to refine the systems we love that word systems um, and the process and i think the more of a paper trail you can leave the better you are at refreshing their memory mm -hmm. so we've now started to send out two emails um, 
to clients when we are ready to purchase. One email has all the final or almost final design presentations with very specific text on it. Here are, here's everything we have agreed upon in a, you know, a mock-up of how the room is going to look um, room by room. And, you know, and then in the email, maybe we're missing X, Y, and Z. Maybe, you know, we haven't found the right uh, table lamp yet, but we'll keep looking. We're ready to purchase. These are the things we've agreed upon. Um, and then a separate email where we actually save all the IV proposals into PDFs and then we send and we rename them. So it's living room final proposal, living, you know what I'm saying? And we send them. So it's lots of wording that says final, final, final. Mm. These are the decisions we've made to date. So that for sure is one way to do it. Um, but then and hold off on proceeding until you hear back on that final decision email. So the, di the final decision email happens. They say, okay, yes, this is what, what's next. And then we send the retainer request and then mm -hmm. we start purchasing. And then we fine tune anything that we need to fine tune. If people forget, I mean, that's never happened to me, but what happens, not often, but like maybe 50% of clients, and I, I wonder if other interior designers find this, um, sometimes when they've been living either in empty spaces because they're waiting for everything to come in or they're living with their old you know, furniture that doesn't work in their space that they're just, you know, we're waiting to refresh. Sometimes when you bring all the new items in, people feel really weird and they're like, wait, what? This is this size. Wait, that's the material. And that's how that little swatch translates to a big sofa. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so people get this like newness shock. It's like a haircut. <laughs> it's like a haircut. Until I like it. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. It's totally like a haircut. They always say, wait a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. So um, I just kind of I don't roll my eyes directly at the client, but sometimes when they're not looking, I roll my eyes. I'm like, don't worry. It's just new. Just, you know, you'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. Yeah. So the next question is, what is one of the biggest mistakes you've made when working with a client? And what did that teach you? And how has that shaped how you do things today? Um, I think that the biggest struggle, just generally speaking, that I have found is making sure that I'm in control of the projects and the client isn't in control. So um, sometimes clients can, you know, I have one client who swore that um, he only, he would only want two really great options for every room and he swore he would pick one. Well, guess what? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that never happens. So it's, putting these systems in place and putting these rules in place, especially in your agreement, that sort of outline how many versions of design you're going to give them mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what the process is so that you're always in control. Um, I'm actually working on a process uh, document right now that I want to add to the website because I want clients to know that, you know, we follow very specific, um, a very specific set of, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, guidelines into complete, to complete a project, right? Mm -hmm. So we start with the consultation and then, you know, then we go into a contract, we go through the contract with them. And so if you show clients that you've got, you know, steps, then hopefully I think you gain more control mm -hmm. and, you know, that's taken years to kind of get to that point, um, for me, because, um, I think, I don't know that I understood the importance of, um, structure 
for both um, me and as well as the clients. And just to confirm the structure, so you are creating this structure by laying out this in emails or specifically how are you instituting this stuff? Right. So I'm going to put the, the sort of the process, the project process up online. And we've heard of the 15 step process. I think other designers, I'm not the first to kind of use it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it'll go online, but then also as soon as a client signs, um, I will send it out as a, you know, useful information. There's a couple of documents that I, I like to send to clients before we start, uh, you know, on their project, but mm -hmm. once they're officially clients. And it's sort of the what to expect, you know, things like, you know, furniture can take, custom furniture can take eight to 10 weeks. You know, sometimes things are back ordered. You have to be patient if we're going mm -hmm. through renovation, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then also now this document, which is here's, here's, you know, what our process is going to be. We're going to send you, we're going to come, we're going to measure, we're going to get our tradespeople in. If we need it, we're going to get estimates. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to go back. We're going to design. We're going to send you stuff. You're going to give us feedback. We're going to revise. We're going to send it again. You know, then you'll give us more feedback. Then we'll hopefully be at a proposal stage. Um, and then we'll wait for everything to come to a commercial receiver. They will inspect everything. Then we will set a day where we paint or do whatever we need to do before your furniture comes in. So I think the more information yeah. you give them, the better. And, um, I, I, you know, and I, in many different ways. So, um, you know, I think as a document, you know, with steps one to 15 is one way. Putting it on your website is another way. Another, a third way that I have yet to launch, but we're just looking at the best way to do this is um, on a calendar, right? And so maybe Ivy Ladies, I know we have the project tracker, which we love, um, but I'm mm -hmm. wondering if there's just a client dedicated calendar mm -hmm. that they can look at any point in time and they know where their things are or what's mm -hmm. happening or when yeah, an yeah, install day is. Definitely you know. feedback we've heard before. And yeah, and it's definitely something that we are working in, yeah. in the pipeline because we do agree that it's really important that the clients have as much visibility that you want exactly. to grant them over the project time. Yeah, and a lot of the hassle that you have to manage as an interior designer is this client relationship. And Correct. Everything is transparent and that they have clear visibility on every step along the way. So exactly. Like and I think, by the way, that stuff just makes you look more professional yeah. and looks like you mm -hmm. know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know what you're doing, if you have all the systems in place, it's sort of sort of a, a, a good way to at least, um, I don't know, pretend, right? Like mm -hmm. that you that you're you're grown up like you're. Um, even my son in like first grade, I mean, they started them with an agenda book, you know, teaching mm -hmm. them about putting things in their agenda when their homework is due or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the same thing, right? Like it's being a responsible professional. Yeah. And you can fake it until you make it, until you get to that point. Exactly. Exactly. So it sounds like you learned so much on how to manage clients um, with experience. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your business model and how that evolved over the years and what has been the recipe for you to be the most profitable? Well, I have to say that I think um, I didn't really think much about my business model until Ivy. So thank oh, you ladies okay. for thank starting you. Ivy and your That's Facebook good. group. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, to have this open dialogue on Facebook with other interior designers, seasoned and brand new and all that, and 
it's just it's just incredible so my business model is uh, you know a combination of markup and design fees one thing I want to stress um, is that I do a flat design fee but I do a cap on hours so I will um, tell clients that you know you get a flat design fee and that is based on the number of hours it should take to complete you know your scope of work um, and I say I put a cap on the hours because sometimes scope of work can change and this has happened to me sometimes mm -hmm. you know yeah, what if, happens when you reach that cap <laughs> well hold on if the if you reach the cap if, so rarely do I reach the cap maybe because I work very quickly um, but if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and things are moving along mm -hmm. then then I'm not going to reach the cap um, if a client cannot make a decision to save their lives then um, mm -hmm. you know then I have the hours you know card that I can pull mm -hmm. and I can say you know I, I know we've been going around and around but you know, just want to make you aware that we do keep track of hours and we're spending a little bit more time on this. You know, we want to get it right, just, you know, making you aware um, and sort of using that if need be. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, sometimes I've had that, this happened last year, was a client bought a house and they said, we're not doing any renovations whatsoever. We just want to furnish. And then, you know, a little bit into our design they were like you know we're gonna actually renovate the kitchen can you help us with that so then I because we I do you know time tracking on Ivy which I love um, you know there's a basis for kind of changing that scope of work because instead of now designing their guest room and their master bedroom they want to just focus on the kitchen for now with the design fee that they originally paid so we just sort of swap hours and we go through kitchen mm -hmm. And you're saying it's also a great way to get them moving a little faster on decision-making. Um, yes, exactly, exactly. So I think a flat fee is fine, but the cap on hours is absolutely necessary. Um, and I tell clients that, you know, the, the design fee depends on obviously the size of the space, how complicated I think the layout will be, um, and, you know, whether or not they, um, you know, what they need in the space, obviously how much they need. Um, and what the, what the look is that they're going for. And then in terms of, so that's design fees. And then in terms of markup, also um, something that I like to tell clients, and I have this in my agreement, and I know some other IV designers do as well, is instead of calling it a markup, I tell clients that our goal is to save them 10 to 15% off retail pricing, right? Mm -hmm. And when they, if they push further, I say, look, every vendor is very different. You know, we, if you're buying an Eames chair, the most we can get off is, you know, 18 or 20% or whatever. But, you know, other vendors, we can get bigger discounts. So our goal is to just save you 10 to 15% off retail. And what that translates for us is a, you know, markup of, you know, first of all, I say it's an average of. So, then the markup kind of becomes dependent vendor by vendor. So there's no hard rule. We try to do a 35% markup, but if that item is gonna be something that somebody can find online for less, or it's something you know that will make it um, not affordable, 
like said Eames chair that goes for $8,000. And if I think that the client's not going to go for it at a 30% markup, I'll take a 10% markup on an yeah. Eames chair. I want that in my project. Do you know what I mean? I want yeah. an Eames chair in the corner. So yeah. I sort you sort of gives you the flexibility to play with it. Um, and I don't know if the, if overall we're making more money on it. Um, but I think that uh, it feels the most fair to me. And I, if I was a client, I feel like that's, you know, reassuring to say, okay, I'm paying a designer and they're going to try to get me a discount off of retail. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, that I think is sort of a secret moneymaker, which is, which is also, again, thanks to Ivy, <laughs> is being able to um, very easily mark up shipping. Mm -hmm. And I think even doing a small markup on shipping of 10% is adds up over the year. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels yeah. really small, right? But again, like it could adds up to thousands of dollars a year and that's great. Why not? Yeah. Makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. Now on to a fun topic, almost as fun as making money with your business model. <laughs> Tell us a bit about your favorite vendors. And I want to hear about vendors that most designers don't know about that you think are hidden gems that you'd like to at least tell us one, share one, one hidden gem with our community. Um, yeah, this is hard. I feel like everyone knows everything, but um, I like eporta.com. I don't know. Have you guys heard yeah, of it? Yeah, they're great. They're great. Yeah. So the only thing about eporta.com that you have to be aware of is you can't source lighting from ePorta because a lot of the European lighting isn't wired for US standards. Mm -hmm. So just heads up everybody. <laughs> I went down that. There's some gorgeous, really wonderful like Danish lighting and you can't, it, they, they won't ship. But anyways, um, but ePorta basically um, is a marketplace of all sorts of European home goods. They definitely lean more like Danish and modern, but they are, it's a really easy way to search. You can do it by price point. Um, they put you directly in touch with the vendors. They make it very simple for you. Um, and I feel like they're, the objects are, or the items are very unique. Um, lots of clean lines. And it's mm -hmm. just, it's a, it's, I think it's one that d people don't know enough about. Amazing. Great. Thank you. That's, that's really good to know. And they service the U.S. equally as Europe? Yes, they do. The founders reached out to me uh, maybe a year or so ago, um, and then I read something in Editor-at-Large. I think they got a, mm -hmm. a nice round of funding, so um, I think people will be here. Hopefully, people will be hearing more of them. That's a really good tip. And now on to something else, which is how do you manage your work-life balance? I, you mentioned you have a son in first grade. Um, I know that's challenging for... No, Many he's moms. actually in fourth grade now, he's but <laughs> and I have a daughter in first grade. So I'm sure it's still as just as challenging. Um, any tips on how to manage your work-life balance and making it work professionally at home and all of that? I mean, I just, I think work can wait. It's funny. I think um, the more the more years you're in business, the more you realize how many, how much people make you wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you don't get everything right away. So, you know, why should you just go drive yourself insane and become a stress case um, trying to get other people something right away? Mm -hmm. I mean, things can wait. Um, so that's sort of what I try to remember is to be more patient um, with vendors and clients and all that stuff. And, um, also just to just, you know, be able to go home and, and really not look at the phone and right, just not going anywhere for that. 
Sorry? They're not going anywhere. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's hard to remind yourself sometimes. Yes. So the last question I have, and it's a big one, is really what's your intention you have for your business in 2018 and how do you plan on making this happen? So I think my intention is, you know, quality over quantity. So trying to take every single project to the next level creatively, um, you know, doing things that maybe are a little risky or just, you know, trying to figure out ways to stand out more in terms of design um, in everything that we do. So not just busting out rooms that we know the clients will like, but busting out rooms that have that extra something to make them a little bit more interesting. And um, I think that in, you know, kind of goes back to, you know, it's like being that extra bit creative, but reminding myself and, to be that extra bit creative by having those systems in place where there is sort of a point in the project where we address, you know, art accessories and, um, you know, objects and uh, things that are old, maybe, you know, maybe we do, maybe we do different, um, maybe I do more uh, Rose Bowl flea market runs or, you know, look on first dibs more for the, for those extra special, pieces, the little details, and really getting to that level of design um, a little bit more than I think I used to. That makes total sense, and I'm excited for you to make those intentions into reality. I think the first step is always being very clear with what you want to achieve, and it sounds like you understand what those points are for 2018, so more power to you on that front. (laughs) And Lucy, thank you so much for being a part of Ivy's community. You're such an amazing addition, and we're proud to call you an Ivy. So thank you, and thank you for making time to be on this podcast with us. Oh, thank you. Thanks you. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Lucy.